Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a real cool guest sitting on our couch. She brought in wine. She brought in food. She brought in some other stuff that I think you have to go to a special store for and give some ID and everything else. And we're, we're really happy that you you rolled into town. Yeah. It's going to be a good go. This is going to be so fun. Hey, everyone. It's Amanda. And it is St. Patrick's Day. And Olivia came with a bottle of wine and some really cool St. Patrick's Day cups and some St. Patrick's Day napkins. She brought us a whole charcuterie platter. Like, I, I can't even with what's happening here. This is this this is my job. Is this special for St. Patrick's Day? Is this just you? This is just who I am yeah? in general. Yeah, I, uh, I grew up and my grandma always taught me how to feed people and we always took food to her neighbor. And Nice. Yeah, so it's kind of a family trait. Like, my mom always made food for the neighbors or for friends or yeah, co-workers. Yeah. And so now when I go into my clinic, I always take... Take. Like when it's soup season, my coworkers are like, "Yes, there's a soup season." Well, yes. as soon as it gets cold, <laughs> Wait, I make... time out. There's a soup season. Yes, yeah. and really? that's why do you think it gets that people so? Know about? Yes, yes, people know it's like boots and lattes and soup. And why do you think I get so upset okay. that our children don't like soup? Because I First love off, soup season. Let's address these things one at a time. The boots. I don't understand the boots. Do you guys know you're all walking around looking like fucking jockeys? Do you know that? Is yes, that the do. goal? Is that the I goal? Know. I don't wear fancy boots. <laughs> Is that the goal, though? I don't know. When you have those boots on and and your jeans on the inside of those boots, you know you look like a fucking Jedi, right? You're walking around looking like Obi Wan Kenobi. Do I look you fell like a for Jedi it, didn't you? in these? Boots no, right now? I'm talking like those super oh, high, okay. like leather, like 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 you ride horses, like yeah. you like you're gonna do an equestrian type thing. <laughs> I don't think I have any more of those super high boots anymore. I've more got like these kind, like but do combat you know boots. That? <laughs> Like, do, is that a is that a is that a is that a look that you're going for? Like, yeah. to look like a Jedi? No, no not, woman not is, is not trying to do that. Jedi, no, they're but, not doing but, that. But I'm a, I'm a jockey. No, we're also not doing that. Okay, well then, note for all you guys out there, you look like fucking jockeys. Well, he also <laughs> thinks though when a woman wears a one sleeve, like a uh, one shoulder tank top like or swimsuit, we all look the like Andre the Giant. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> now that's all I'm going to see that's every all I time see. I see it. Exactly. He has ruined that for me. I I can't wear anything with one shoulder because now I just see. Andre the no, Giant. No, no, no. You can wear, but you do look like Andre the Giant to me, anyway. Mm. Right? I like Andre the Giant. He climbs over the top rope. He, he was in Princess Bride. Like I like Andre the Giant. Do you want to date great. Andre the Giant? Say, do you want to be married to him? <laughs> no, but he's. He, I just posted a picture on on Facebook of because he's such a big fucking guy of Andre the Giant holding a can of beer and it looked like a toy can mm-hmm. in his hand it's insane mm-hmm. he's I've such a that. you talk about it, Andre I'm gonna eat some fancy cheese because I feel bad for well he's no longer but I felt really bad for him because every everyone that ever talked about Andre the Giant all the wrestlers they're like he is like the most professional guy ever but you have to also understand because a lot of people were a lot of the newcomers at the time they're like he's an asshole mm-hmm. I think Hulk Hogan said it best like you have to understand this guy is uncomfortable all the time. Yeah, he's in he, so much pain. He's and, yeah. and he's just big. He's like he can't get in a car properly. He can't get on a plane. He can't use a toilet. Like they would use hotel rooms, and he'd have to shit in the tub. Like that's like he's such just a big man, and he's just constantly uncomfortable. So when you meet him, and he's a, just a fucking dick, just remember, it's not just he's this massive French asshole. He's 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 just a big uncomfortable guy, and he was in a lot of pain. Pain will make you an asshole. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Like. I I often joke with Mark about being a grumpy old man. Mm-hmm. I mean, he is kind of a he's kind of a grump a lot of the time. Unbelievable. <laughs> but then every so often I look at him and I'm like, though 
I don't know how you're not worse because, you know, he deals with chronic pain, right? Like he's in pain all the time. And I know like after my car accident, even just for those like first few months with the whiplash and all the pain and the concussion and the brain, like I was just irritable. I was bitchy to everyone. And I would say to him, like, I don't know how you actually don't kill people. Like this is torture. So anyone who deals with chronic pain, yeah, I I get it. I get why. You could be kind of an asshole sometimes. On the flip side, every time I meet someone who's kind of grumpy, I'm just like, you must be having a really bad day because that's what I have to tell myself so I don't like build up resentment and annoyance mm. at people. I'm just like, you know what? I don't know what you're dealing with and you're probably just having a really crappy day. Yeah. So, that's a really good call. Yeah. That's a really good call. And those people are everywhere. So you got to just like find a way to make peace with it. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you don't know what people are dealing with. So yeah. immediately writing someone off as grumpy or an asshole or whatever. Mm, save the judgment for another time because I'm sure that if anyone had met me during those first few months after the accident, they'd be like, wow, she's the worst because I was the worst. What if you wear the boots and the, the one strap thing then you like <laughs> under the giant on horse? <laughs> Sorry. I think you just came up with your new Halloween costume. I think I might. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh, that's God. fun. Can you guys oh wear matching ones? I want to see an Instagram <laughs> post of that. Mark's famous Halloween costume is always a mime because then he doesn't have to talk to anyone so the whole good. night. It's so good. It's really your jam. I, yeah. I can Brilliant. Tell. He did it like three years in a row. I Stay true to character on that one. Yep. It's funny you don't want to talk to people and then you created a job where you talk right? to people pretty frequently. <laughs> but this is a controlled environment. You're not having randos to just show up. Thank you. Unless they message you on Instagram. Well, that's different. Well, let's, let's, let's get into it then. Let's tell the backstory. So how did Olivia end up on our newly covered couch? You were the first person to sit on it since we bought a new cover for it. We're getting sick of microbanding that thing. It looks yeah. really clean. It's so very comfortable. We now bought a cover that I can take home and wash in my washing machine versus us having to try Try to clean this couch that lots of people sit on. Yeah, this is great. No, it's very comfortable. Thank you. I feel honored. Yeah, right on. Do I have to pay rent? Or... No? We'll talk. We'll talk. Okay. But Olivia, as she said, she's a podcast listener and basically sent us a message one day on Instagram because she had just listened to an episode with Mandy. For those of you that are loyal listeners, you might remember Mandy as the author of, oh, goodness, If These Hands Could Talk. Is that what mm-hmm. the book is called? Yeah. The Girl Who Touched it. the World. Mm-hmm. Um fantastic conversation with her. Olivia has been listening for a couple of years, heard the episode, sent a message, and she had a very interesting story, which I'm going to let her tell. I'm not going to do it for her, about you know having this calling and where she wanted to go with her career in massage because she found out she was pregnant, what, the day or the day after you got licensed? Like an hour after. Right. Yeah. So her dreams of starting a business had to wait. And now that she's got teenagers... She's at a time where she can move forward with these plans. So this was a really great time to have her on the podcast because she's starting something totally new. She's got a really cool story. She drove to Toronto from three hours away and brought snacks and wine. So, I mean, we're already best friends. And um, for everyone else that's listening, can you do an introduction? You know, how long you've been a therapist? I mean, I gave I gave it away a little bit that yeah. you found out you were pregnant 10 minutes later, but yeah. how long you've been a therapist, what you've been doing and where your practice is now shifting now yeah. that you can focus a little more on you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I uh, graduated in 2005 uh, from Darcy Lane and it was not going to lie. It was a struggle. It was super overwhelming. I had a lot of anxiety and stress being in school. I wish that your like prep course going into 
doing testing and like board exams and stuff was available at that time because mm-hmm. being three hours away from Toronto and driving here, wanting to throw up every 10 minutes was a pretty stressful time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did pass them. And I remember my dad um, calling me the day he's like, this huge package came in the mail. Like, I think it's your license. You can finally start working. And I was waitressing at the time. I was like, great, let's meet for breakfast. I have to work at 1130. So we went for breakfast and, you know, he was so proud and so excited. And I left after breakfast. I was all excited for myself. And I went to the the restaurant to go to work. And I thought, I'm going to celebrate tonight. I'm going to get a bottle of sparkling wine. And I'm going to go out with my friends. And no, I was you're like, not. wait a minute. Oh, my gosh. I think I might be late. I should pee on a stick. And I did. And it was positive. And mm. it was like, oh, here we go, life. New career, new baby, same day. And it was just like overwhelming, but in the best way. Like it, my mom had just gone through breast cancer treatments and stuff and she is doing great. Um, but definitely life-changing news happens sometimes and you, it's hard to kind of just wrap your mind around, is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? How do I manage this? Mm. Imagine going home to your partner that day. Hey, I got my license. By the way, we're having a baby. I got a couple things. I'm curious. Yeah. My parents, they didn't care about me going to massage school and me getting my license. You, your folks seem like they're, they're excited by it. Yeah. Were your parents, did they care? Like my parents didn't give a fuck. They had no idea. I, to this day, sometimes wonder if my parents have any idea what I do for a living. Okay. So they're the same. <laughs> yeah. My parents were just super supportive. I remember like the first year of school, I was really inspired. Like I was like, this is awesome. And I right. always, from a young age, I know not everyone gets into massage therapy because they want to help people. They're like, okay, this is a job. This is a career. I'll take it, whatever. Um, but from a young age, I always felt like I could help people with my hands. Mm. And you can't just hang a sign outside of your house and say, come over and let me heal you because that brings in all come kinds over and of- let me touch you yeah, with my hands. Yeah, that's, that gets awkward. So you need to have some kind of formal <laughs> training. So when I was going through school, um, the first year was a struggle and I just remember my parents being very encouraging, like wow. you can do this. And I used to always massage my dad. Like he was kind of the beginning. So he was actually a police officer and he got in a lot of bar fights. Well, broke up a lot of bar fights, but he got a lot of neck injuries. So I used to sit behind him um, and watch MacGyver and massage his neck and like get into his suboccipitals. And like really, when I was like four and five You're making years old. Mark all like warm and fuzzy right now because he's like- MacGyver was good. Yeah. He's probably thinking like, if my kids would sit behind me while them, I watch, yeah. actually for him right now, it's Magnum. Magnum's mm-hmm. what you've been watching. Have one of the girls behind you massaging your neck while you watch Magnum. This it's is a dream. Time. They're it's not good, good though. Oh. They're not good. You got to train them better. Come they on, you guys are can do good. This. They're, they're not good. They're, they're too are, light pressure. They are they need good. Big harder. They're, 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 they're still very small. They're great at doing very low pressure, <laughs> like slow fascia release, like where they just put their hands on you and just move your skin a little bit. They're fabulous. Have like you that. have else? you Forget had it. a massage lately from the little one? No, I oh, have she's not. getting good. She won't. She won't do that with me. Oh, she massages my neck I'll all ask the time. And she she's getting care. good. She's like, nope. That's really cute. Nope, nope, Dad. Nope. Aww. I'm out. <laughs> I think for me, it was like a manipulative thing. Like I didn't want to go to bed and mm. like MacGyver was on at eight o'clock at night and I'm five uh, years I'm old. I'm going to try this because so, the little one does net. She never wants to sleep. And she's you, almost five. You can five. stay up yep. if you massage my neck. Get in there. You I better bet you, try harder. I bet you she'd be like, I'm going to bed. <laughs> <laughs> or not. Maybe she'll be like, all right, well, this is the price. I Either way, pay. it's a win. Either yeah. you get a massage or she finally fucking goes to sleep. On she time. always chooses sleep because we always do the we always do the choice. Right. Mm-hmm. OK, you want to stay up? Sure, you can stay up, but you got to stay on the couch. We got to keep all the lights on. You can't watch TV. You can stay up, though, as long mm-hmm. as you want. She's like, I think I'll just go to bed. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's smart kid. She's figured it out. <laughs> I'm like, you make good choices. Little munchkins. They grow up so fast, though. 
I'd say keep teaching them though. Like I know with my kids, like I've massaged them since they were babies. And and now like if I have a trigger point, I'm like, I need you to put your elbow in my QL and I'm going to show you how. And then I need you to like bend my leg and do a piriformis release. They're like, mom, you're so weird. (laughs) I can't get an appointment this week and I need some relief. So it is nice having like that knowledge to be able to teach them. I think we're going to start then. Yep. Yeah. Kid training. Nice. Perfect. We, we won't call it that, but... No. Yeah. <laughs> we'll come up with a new name. Yeah. Teeny and it, tiny massage and it's, therapy. it's not slavery, guys. It's no. not. You feed them, you clothe them, you <laughs> exactly. love them, you nurture them. It counts. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. More than I got at home. Oh, goodness. So... <laughs> I guess um, I ended up getting my license, had the new baby. What made you decide massage therapy? Oh, um, well, I actually went to Fanshawe for general arts and science, which was just a glorified grade 13. Mm -hmm. It was very expensive. It was a party year. And I had three roommates at Fanshawe. What year were you there? Uh, 2003. Nope, 2002. Sorry. We might have been partying. Oh. No, I started the Outback Shack. I started at Western in 2003. Mm, So we missed each other. We could have been partying at the same places. You never know. We probably were, and we just didn't know. We missed each other by a year. It's all right. Mm. We're here now. (laughs) What matters, yeah. So why massage? Oh, yeah. So uh, I was taking general arts, wasn't really loving it, but didn't really know what direction I wanted to go. I took. 11 art classes in high school really thought I was going to go through for graphic design or art and uh, and had that moment where I was like I feel like I'm supposed to do more for society than paint and I don't want someone to tell me what to paint I want to just paint when I want to paint so um, my one roommate I was always massaging I always was massaging um, when we were watching The Bachelor or whatever girly shows we were watching at the time and she said to me why don't you just take massage therapy like you're already massaging all of us all the time anyway that could just be your job and for me I don't know if it was like imposter syndrome or whatever but I was like, well, I'm not smart enough to go through for massage therapy. I don't think I could do that. I think I didn't take the right courses in high school to get into it or whatever. That so is you interesting. Massage, you thought massage therapy was like academically difficult. Because mm. the amount of people, even when I worked the in admissions, reverse. who thought, how hard can it be? You yeah. know, you're just rubbing bodies essentially. And then yep. they get in and they're shocked mm-hmm. at how difficult it was. So how did you know that it was much more academic and science-based than other people seem to think it is? Um, when I was in high school, I took, um, there was like a kinesiology program at the high school and I loved that class. And we actually had one of the instructors from Darcy Lane come to the school and do a demonstration. And I was the demo body because I'd had a leg um, fracture from years ago. Mm. So I got to lay on the desk and she did a massage treatment with the swelling technique and the whole bit. And I was like, this is cool. But she told us a little bit about the program and I was like, okay, like that sounds cool, but there's no way I could do that. So it was uh, it was a little overwhelming. So I finished my fun party year at Fanshawe and I applied at Darcy Lane the following September and got in and it was green scrubs and 12 hour days for two years. And it, was it as challenging as it was it made was to sound? super overwhelming. Really? Yeah, for sure. And it's just difficult too, like all the things, being away from home, not having help with groceries and laundry and like you don't have your support system you're living with roommates um my class was amazing like i still talk to a lot of the people that i went to school with or mm-hmm. amazing individuals that have gone on to do some really really cool stuff um but o- overall it was it was a long day like we had classes eight in the morning till eight at night so we got an hour for lunch and an hour for dinner holy crap um, three days a week and then you had four days off but you were expected to memorize what you had learned in those three days so if you wanted so to do a part-time intense. job or whatever like it was and there were some people that were you know in their 50s and 60s and doing training with you know adult children at home or working like full-time hours on the weekends uh we had a couple you know young moms that were in school it was 
it was intense for all of us. How long it, was the program? Two years. Two years? Yeah. Would you have rather gone to school like that? Like three 12-hour days instead of... Compared to what I did, probably. Yeah. What was your schedule? Um, so I had a bit of a unique scenario. I was working at the college and I found out that employees can take the program for free. But there's a but. There's always a but, right? If it sounds too good to be true, you still have to work full-time hours. So Good luck. The, exactly. <laughs> the class ran 8am to 1pm. So I talked to like the, you know, the big wigs at the school and said, okay, could I do this if I start work at one and I work until 839 o'clock, like whether or not I take a, you know, if I don't take a lunch break or if the class ends early. So sometimes, you know, our class would be done by 11. So I could just start work early and get out. But majority of the time I was in that building from 8 a.m. until at least 8 p.m., sometimes later. And then we lived about a half hour away from the school. So then I was driving half hour to go home um, and then I would have to study. So having to do those long days three times a week. Yeah, I probably would have taken that over what I did. But I but I paid no money. So when I, I was really thinking complain. about going to school initially, there was a school in Burlington I think it was called Canadian Therapeutic College. I don't think it exists anymore. And they were offering a one-year program for anyone that had a health science background. So I had my kid degree. And it was the same idea. That was three days a week, 12-hour days. And I was like, that can be pretty good. But then I was like, do I want to drive to fucking Burlington? Yeah. And then I decided, nah. Yeah. And then I was like, CC then CCMH had the same thing for, for one year, but it wasn't, it, it was, you know, every day you're in school, five days a week kind of thing. And then they told me because I had been out of school for five years, so like, you'd have to challenge all the exams. And I'm like, I don't want to challenge anything. Cause I don't, why do I want to go study neurology to take an exam to opt out of the class? It's stupid. Yeah. Just so take the class. Let me just take the class and just find it a breeze. And I did the same. I mean, uh, the school I went to didn't have an advanced standing, but it was supposedly going to be coming. And so that was a thought I had, like, do I just wait mm -hmm. and wait for the advanced standing because I have a kin degree? But then I thought the same thing as Mark. I'm like, some of these things I could probably really use the review on, you know, mm -hmm. like I had only been out of school for, I think, a year and a half when I started massage school, but a year and a half was enough time that I probably forgot a lot of stuff, right? Like yeah. it's just, if you're not using it, you're not going to remember it. But I would always prefer to do that, like stack a bunch of days with a whole bunch and then have just days where I don't have any responsibility. I did that in university as much as I could when I created my schedule. Instead of having like a few classes on Monday, a few on Tuesday, a few on Wednesday, I tried to stack my days where like I would have a crazy long day of classes, but then have a day where I maybe had like a basketball class mm -hmm. and just had the whole day off. That sounds great. Yeah. Good balance. Yeah. I like that. And now you're a mom of two and every day is busy. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't even understand. <laughs> What's downtime? I There's don't know. no such thing. Well, I said to Mark when I got here today, and actually when you came in, I said the same thing. My kids had a cold. They've been sick for five days. Today's the first day that I've been away from them in five days, and I came in here all excited and happy. And Mark just looks stressed because he's been here working the whole time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, "Be happy. Let's be happy. I'm out of the house. I don't have any kids around me. Like I'm so excited today." Yeah, and then you break. walked in with food and wine. I'm like, "This is honestly the best day of my life." <laughs> Gonna be a good day. It's, it's a I'll great always day. feed you every time we hang out. That's just how I roll. So if you come to my neck of the woods, like I got snacks in a pool. So I love come it. Over anytime. She did say that in her Instagram message to us. She said, "If I come to Toronto, I'm gonna bring you guys wine and snacks." And I was like, "Cool. I don't even know what you want to talk about yet, but I'm interested." You're like you're feeding me. You can talk about anything you want. <laughs> anything you like. All right. So let's talk about your massage journey then. So now you've got your license. You find out you're pregnant, and what do you do? What's your first 
your first taste of the massage world? What Where did you the, work? What was the plan then before you found out you were pregnant? Because you're like, I did my licensing exam. You, you had, a, I'm assuming you had a game plan. Yeah, I did. Yeah. What was that game plan? And then how much did it actually end up straying? Yeah. So I was actually working at a holistic health center. Uh, I'd already gone in and painted my room and what and whatnot. There was a therapist that worked there, like a psychotherapist yeah. and a naturopath. And so when I found out I was pregnant, I called them immediately and I said, I don't know if you still want me to work with you, but um, there's, there's going to be an extra little in tow in nine months. And they were both also single moms and they were very excited. They were very supportive. And so they were like, whatever you need, you just let us know. And the rent was dirt cheap. It was a beautiful clinic. It was an amazing experience just to work there um, and to have that kind of supportive environment. So I just, I still, you know, hung my sign and set up and also had that pressure of like, I need to work. Like I need to, I need to to make some money. Well, yeah, but also like, I love this job. I was like, I want to take care of people, but also my body's changing and hormones are crazy when you're pregnant. So it was a whole journey for sure. Um, but yeah, I kept working, um, right up until my due date, or I think maybe a week before. Um, and then once I had my baby, because being a massage therapist, you don't have maternity leave. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be like a freeloader for my partner. So I was like, no, I'll just go back to work. It'll be fine. So my dad, who's an adorable gentleman, um, came to my house two days a week to look after my infant. And I went back to work when she was three weeks old. Yeah. I don't know why that's so adorable to me. Like, not obviously men take care of their kids. I'm not saying they don't, but I feel like in our parents' generation, that was like so uncommon. Oh, my dad's a huge baby whisperer. Like he would like hold babies and like walk miles. That's what he said he used to always do with us. I love that though too, because my, my dad was like that with kids. Like kids always gravitated towards my dad, not my mom. (laughs) God bless my mom. But she was, she was, (laughs) she was the one that like I felt like kids were more afraid of because my mom was the one with the rules and she was strict. And my dad was always like this fun fun loving guy, but he also is super patient. Like, and I feel like Mark's that way. Like kids don't annoy you, you know, like when our kids are being loud and crazy and like, I'm about to lose it on them because they haven't stopped like poking me for 10 minutes. None of that bothers you. My dad was like that. Like he Mm -hmm. was just super patient and like kids didn't bother him whatsoever. So yeah. Because one day they're not going to want to have anything to do with me. And I'm like, let me just soak it in. They're girls. Yep. I'm like, there's going to be a time very soon where like dad is not the person to talk to. Dad's not the person to hang out with, blah, 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 blah. I'm going to be the anti everything. So just I'm, just gonna, enjoy I'm just enjoying enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. Yeah. 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 Like it makes me crazy when I'm trying to work from home and they're standing there talking to me the entire time. So when he's working from home and they're standing there like talking his ear off, I'm like, girls, daddy's working. And he'll just turn to me. He's like, it's okay. They're not bothering me. I'm like, really? They're bothering me for you. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. No, I dig it. I mean, like, me and the youngest, like I'll do work from the bed. I'll bring my laptop to the bed and she'll park down next to me and watch TV or just yap in my ear the whole time. And I love it. I'm like, oh, let's keep this going. Good way to connect. Yeah. That's cute. So it works. I like it. So your so, yeah, dad took care of, my of your three baby. Oh. Three week old. You went back at three weeks? Yeah. Two days a week. I didn't, Brave woman. I know. I didn't know what else to do. I was like, well, I don't want clients to go to someone else. Like, right. not that I didn't, I wasn't worried that they were not going to want to come back, but you do have a sense of obligation to your clients. You have a sense of like, it's my job to take care of these people. They, they're paying good money to come and see me. And I also, I loved my job and I just, I didn't want to kind of get a head start in it and then have this baby and then be like, oh, I'm going to take a year or two off and then just kind of lose my momentum. Is right? this a common thing? Did you feel the same way? And did Megan, who was here earlier, who's got three little ones, did she feel the same? Like, I, I wouldn't know. So this. Megan and I talked about it on the podcast women? that she was on. I felt 
pressure, but it wasn't pressure I was putting on. It was very different from what Olivia is talking about. I didn't feel, this is going to make me sound like a horrible human, but I didn't feel any kind of obligation to my clients. I didn't feel any kind of like, I need to get back and take care of them or whatever. I honestly was accepting of the fact that if I leave, when I leave, some people, Megan was the person who took over my maternity leave, right? So I thought, I love Megan. People are going to fall in love with Megan and they're going to want to stay with her. And that's fine. Some people might never want to book with her and they'll wait for me and that's fine. So none of the pressure was me putting it on myself. It was the person whose clinic that I was renting space in. She was a mother of three kids and I looked up to her so much. Like she owned her own business. She had three, like she just seemed to have all of her shit together. Like I used to look at her and I was like, I want to be you when I'm when you grow 40. up. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I met her, I was in my, I think I was in my mid twenties and she had just turned 40. And I was like, I want to be you when I'm 40, like a hundred percent, just like you. And so she kept saying to me, it is career suicide. If you take any more than three months off, she kept telling me three months is the absolute longest you can do. I ended up taking five And even that I was feeling guilt because she was messaging me like, I need a date. When are you coming back? Your patients want to know when you're coming back. It was a lot. And um, I mean, I had Megan, thank God. And Megan took care of everybody and kept me sane. But yeah, I felt pressure, but not that I was putting on myself. When I had my second child and I was renting at a different space, I said to the clinic owner, do whatever you need to do with my room. If I choose to, if I decide I want to come back and you don't have space for me, that's my fault. I walked away. Mm -hmm. I'm not giving you a date. I have no idea. I'm just going to have this baby and enjoy as much time off as I want. And I didn't go back to work until our youngest was over a year. And that's time you can't get back. So I'm glad that you did that. Like I look back and I think, oh, like I missed out on some of those moments that like I still spent a ton of time with my kids, obviously. But when they're that little we and they change so quickly, like every day, you know, their little faces and everything now i want to do a poll i want a survey i want to know is this a common sensation i think it is, is. A common you should thought? do a poll absolutely i think that not having um maternity leave like you have to opt into that and pay into it I actually, which i did yep and i i didn't because i just started it was right just like fresh right from <laughs> right from school um but i think that if you're not organized and it's not a planned pregnancy then you kind of are out of luck because you don't have anything to fall back on. Yeah, that's tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and mean, I mean, I can't really speak for Megan, but she did just leave. And as you said, she has three little ones. Her oldest is five. And so she's now here um, taking on my patients because I don't have the time to dedicate to them. And that's one thing that I was, I feel bad. I feel bad in the sense that like, I can't tell you... Uh, that my recommendation for your treatment plan is for you to come in every seven days. And I'm like, but I can see you every three and a half weeks. Like, Mm -hmm. it's not fair, right? Mm -hmm. So with my schedule, I had to bring in Megan to take over. And it worked out perfectly because she has basically been out of work, like aside from having like a few odd jobs here and there for over five years, because she had all three of her kids back to back. She got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-and-a-half-year-old. So this actually worked out perfectly, And but now she's in the rebuilding phase. Mm-hmm. And so that's the fear of a lot of self-employed people, RMTs, right, is that if you leave, your patients are going to go somewhere else. They have to. They can't wait for you for five years. Mm-hmm. They're going to go somewhere else. Absolutely. So she's now rebuilding a practice. Thankfully, I have a lot of clients to give her, but you know she's still building, and that's why we put so much pressure on ourselves because it's not just like walking back into a nine to five office job and you get your salary back. You might go back to work and you're making a hundred dollars a day. It was different too, like being in a rural area. So 
I didn't really advertise. Like my parents are adorable. They um, they purchased like a newspaper article for me the first year that I graduated. So I think I got like one a month for the first 12 months and I've never advertised since. So the beautiful thing about living in a small rural area, all my clients know each other. Like they don't know that they all come and see me. But if I had all my clients in a room together, they'd be like, that's my neighbor. That's my best friend. That's my coworker. <laughs> like it's kind of crazy. Um, but I do remember when I was in school, this amazing teacher, Rob, um, he said to us, um, if you treat every single one of your clients with 110% of your time and your energy, and even if you can't give them what they need to fix their physical problem, if you genuinely care, they're going to feel that. And that energy is real and they're yep. going to want to come back and experience it again. And Absolutely. then they're going to tell their best friend or their... Yep partner or whatever so so wait a minute do you hear the stories from when jim is on your table yeah i was talking to my buddy fred the other day and he and, you're and like, you know I, fred you're like, I, fucking, I fucking know fred yeah, yeah. Oh, it happens frequently and you're like just keep it together man it's super confidential and i always do tell my clients like they'll tell me something they're like you can't tell anyone that i'm like i know this room is like vegas whatever you say in this room doesn't leave this room <gasps> that's what i say twinsies yeah. i love that um but yeah i think um people do spill the beans though oh my goodness about everything. <laughs> that's so funny. It's like the dude that we know that's the one massage therapist in Wawa. Mm. Like, he, yeah. he knows everything about everybody. So, a funny story about that. I have um, a friend from university and she's from Sault Ste. Marie. And so, like, I met quite a few of her friends. So I used to go visit her in Sault Ste. Marie and they would come visit us at Western. And so, one day I saw recently I saw like an Instagram story or something and she was it, like the tag was that she was in Wawa and I was like oh ha, ha I know the one RMT in Wawa and she named him I was like stop it she's like yeah like my friends go to him because he's, he's the only the RMT, RMT in Wawa <laughs> like that's amazing like but you were you were talking to me over Instagram uh, Olivia about um, when we were first talking about having you on the podcast and you said, you know, block out where I'm from because it's such a small town. Everybody knows everybody. I'm like, yeah. right. But that even happens here in Scarborough. Like I grew up in this part of Toronto my entire life. And at some point I realized that everybody in Scarborough has either interacted with each other or somehow connected. And this is in like a big city. So I can't imagine in a small town how much everybody knows everybody. I don't feel that way. Oh, but man. I also don't do anything. Like, I literally just go home, come slacker. here, go home. Yeah, I'm <laughs> the biggest fucking slacker. That's not true. We will meet. So, for example, somebody that I worked with years ago, and we kind of got friendly with her and her husband. It turns out that you and her went to the same high school, but years apart. But you knew, like, mutual people and mutual. Like, that's what I mean. Like, it just, when you're from Scarborough, you Kevin know Bacon. other people okay, from Scarborough. It, There's it. Yeah, exactly. Kevin gotcha. Bacon. Gotcha. By the way, Olivia brought. Uh, sausage, like bacon sausage. I can't even explain what it is, but it's so good. I've had like four of them. I need to stop. <laughs> Talk to me about uh, treating, treating, and having your your belly grow. Yeah, how was that? It gets awkward because you end up like hitting your client with your gut. <laughs> yes, you do. It's a real problem. I can imagine. Yeah, well, so I can't, with my first daughter, um, she, I did, I gained some weight, obviously, but I wasn't out of control. It was more the second child. Um, my doctor actually told me, I think in month four, she's like, you need to stop eating cookies. And I was like, shit, okay. Um, <laughs> so things got a little out of control with her. So I was a little bit bigger. Um, but actually, funny story with the second child. Um, my water broke when I was at work massaging a client. So I had done four deep tissue treatments. I know you guys don't like talk about deep tissue, but they were like, also everything's deep tissue when you're like the size of a whale and you have to lean into people like you get hot and sweaty <laughs> by the end of the day. So I'm working on my last client and she had been a client since I started like, you know, three years earlier. 
And I just said to her, you know, I'd really love for you to put me into labor. Like, I'm all done being a baby hotel. This is not fun for me. Mm. But I was only like 36 weeks or 35 weeks, five days or something. She's like, oh, well, you're not quite there yet. So I'm massaging her and wetness happens, you guys. And I'm like, oh, my God, did I just pee my pants during a treatment? Like, have I come to this point? So I didn't say anything. I finished the treatment and it wasn't like running down my leg. It was just enough that I was like aware of it. And so I like held a towel over my stomach area when she was paying and leaving. And on my way home, I'm like, okay, I don't know if I pee my pants. I don't know if my water just broke. And I went to pick my other daughter up at daycare. And while I was chatting, I'm like, can your water break like just a little bit? Because this was not a gush. It was just like a little TMI, just a little trickle. But anyways, (laughs) while I'm chatting with her, full gush. So I end up having my second child four weeks early. She's itty bitty. She's a month early. And and I called my client the next day. I'm like, it worked. Mm. She's like, what do you mean it worked? I said, you put me into labor. I just had my baby. She's like, you did not. I'm like, I did. My water broke while I was treating it. (laughs) And so because it's a small town and she knew where I lived, she showed up with like preemie outfits and like tall cans of beer for my husband and like congratulations balloons. And it was pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. That is really cool. So you went back to work with a three week old baby. Mm -hmm. Um, I can say as much as I resented the idea of going back when my daughter was so small, eventually, I think it was probably the best thing I could have done for my mental health. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like I, I really like it was, it was, it's such a mind fuck because I both missed her, but was like, how many moms get the chance to just leave for a few hours? And like, you come back and it was like, I missed you so much. So like, I had so much more energy. I I don't know. I felt like it was, it was really good for me to go like, back to work. How can I miss you if you don't go away? Yeah. Like if you have a break from someone, like absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it was actually really good. And I, I never felt as exhausted. Now, you can't really compare because when you have the second one, you're still taking care of a toddler. Yeah, it's a but whole, whole new ball game. I was so exhausted. You know, at the, the front of the episode, we were talking about like being in pain and being grumpy. With my second, I had really bad postpartum anxiety. And then couple that with like extreme exhaustion from taking care of a toddler, taking care of a newborn baby. I was horrendous. Like I was just mean. I would scream at like Tim Horton's employees. Like I was a horrible person. But with my first, I felt like I was so much calmer. And even when things would happen where like, you know, she might scream and cry for three hours, I could keep my composure a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because I was, I was getting that break away from her. I think it was such a good thing for my mental health. So as much as it, it sucked, it didn't suck. That makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. It sucked, but it didn't suck. It was nice to have a break for sure. Yeah, uh, I think having a toddler and a newborn is like a whole new level of crazy. And my husband and I actually refer to that as the dark ages of our relationship because you're so overwhelmed. Everyone's working hard Mm -hmm. at home, at work. You're trying to take care of, you know, groceries and diapers and all the things. And everyone thinks the other person could be doing more to help, but you're both doing the best you can. So that was a struggle for sure. And I think, I don't know about you, but um, I think it's pretty common to have like some form of postpartum depression. And I think having two babies back to back, like they're only 20 months apart. Um, and then working on a physical job, like, I don't know if it would have been different if I had like a desk job, but physically giving your energy to clients throughout the day and then going home and like breastfeeding your babies and doing all your work laundry, like it is exhausting. And I definitely went into a bit of a spiral for sure. Are there times when you're like, I'm not giving hundred percent to this client and I don't care? No, I always felt really like I would always give 110% as much as I could to the point where I would give more than what I had to give because that was my job and that was my 
Like it's my goal. It's my passion to like do what I can to help. I've learned better boundaries now, but at that time it was like, I've got this new business. I have to like give it my all and try my hardest. Would you, would you, were you the same when you were pregnant and uncomfortable and your belly's hitting someone in the head and you're like, I don't want to be here. So my first pregnancy was magical. Like it was, it wasn't difficult. So I think, you know, that varies too, right? Some women have really tough pregnancies. I wasn't in pain. I felt great. I literally like enjoyed getting dressed every day because I'm like, I have a license to let my gut go and it's okay. And I'd wear like cute tight clothes. And I was I was bubbly throughout most of that pregnancy. Like I, I wasn't super uncomfortable. Um, our oldest daughter did kick some of my clients in the head when I was doing head, neck, shoulder treatments because I got big. Like somebody even commented on one of my maternity photos and was like, are you having twins? I'm like, do you want to die? Why do people think it's right? okay to ask that? Yeah, I, I got big though. So yeah, I don't, I didn't feel... Like it was difficult then. And then, like I said, going back to work at first, I was really miserable. And then it became something that I, I looked forward to like having, you know, a couple, I only went back, I was like you, I went back, I think two days a week, Mm -hmm. two days a week where I could spend a few hours talking to adults. The only thing that really sucked is I was exclusively breastfeeding. So it's a lot of pumping, extra pressure. The pumping because I mean I guess then you're not exclusively breastfeeding. So yeah, I was exclusive exclusively breastfeeding up to that five month point. And then I had to pump while I was at work. That part made me just freaking miserable. Like having to actually like, okay, give me 20 minutes. I have to go in this room and sit there by myself now for whatever. That I didn't like. I have to go harness my inner dairy cow. I'll be right <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That wasn't fun. Special memories. <laughs> Are dudes in rural small towns just as creepy? I do think you, do you, maybe do you get the creepy dudes? there's creepy weirdos everywhere. Yeah. I teach my girls that all the time. Um, but no, I think uh, maybe a little bit less creepy because everybody knows, everybody knows everybody. So if creepy Fred's being creepy, you're like... I'm not going to break confidentiality, but Fred, I know what's up and you're being creepy and weird. Um, I've just tried to kind of set the intention. And I think intention is a huge part of my job and my life in in general, but set the intention that I just want the right people to come into my life, whether it's in any setting, in work setting, whatever. Um, I am the luckiest. Like I have the most amazing humans that come and see me and pay me good money for me to take care of them. Like I love going to work every single day. Like I've got teachers, police officers, paramedics, um, people that work in all different areas. And I think when you had talked in a previous podcast about life experience, that's something that I didn't have when I first graduated, but that I've grown to experience in my own time. Mm -hmm. Um, But then you start to understand, like when my police officer clients come in for treatments and their hips are bugging them, I'm like, well, you're wearing a belt that weighs like 26 pounds and you're only a 120 pound person. So yeah, your hips are going to be bugging you. Mm-hmm. Um, or even like their shoulders, like their vests are really mm-hmm. heavy. So like their scalings are always tight. So then they have like a lot of like tension headaches and neck pain and whatnot. So there's just different patterns that you can pay attention to from treating certain kinds of patients. But um, overall, I can't really complain. I've had a couple like in 16 years practice or over 16 years now, I've had a couple really uncomfortable interactions. Um, But those are the people that you're like, I'm sorry, I'm booked until the end of time. (laughs) I don't know if that's ethical or not. But at the same time, I think you have to go with, yes, professionalism and ethics is super important. But you also have to go with your own gut feeling, like especially being a female working from a home based practice. Like if you're making me uncomfortable, I'm probably not going to be like, yeah, come back next week. This sounds great. Like, no. So 
I don't think creepy Freds get away with as much in small towns. I also want to know, do creepy Freds get get less creepy the more if pregnant you get? If oh anybody's my gosh, listening whose name is Fred, I'm sorry that we chose your name to be the creep. Hey, Fred. <laughs> do you, do you, does your level of creepiness drop off the more, the more more the more large someone's getting with their pregnancy? I'm curious. I'm curious if that happened to either of you guys. The, the creepo at the beginning of the pregnancy, are they still the same level of creepiness near the end of your pregnancy? Had zero creeps, so mm. I don't, I couldn't tell you. I don't even know if it was necessarily during pregnancy that I came across creepy Freds. I think they're just kind of scattered everywhere. Mm. Interesting. Mm. So as you're sitting there, Olivia, talking about all of these wonderful humans that you treat, police officers and paramedics, I know from our messaging that you're going in a whole new direction. What inspired you to change direction considering you have such a wonderful practice and you love your patients yeah um well i definitely worked at a home-based practice before covid um for over a decade and loved it had my own schedule worked around the kids schedule it was great um and then the world closed while i was in europe with my family so that was a whole other podcast for a whole other day um but anyways i got home and we had to quarantine for 14 days and I was so upset. I thought, I love this job. And now I don't like we can't even hug family. Are we ever going to be able to work again? Like, is our career done? Mm. I don't know. Um, So I kind of coasted for a while. tried the online homeschooling mom role. Turns out I suck at that. And my kids are really annoyed. I think everyone sucked at that. It was a challenge. I very much sucked at that. You're not alone. So it ended up my husband's working from home. My kids are doing online school. And I'm just walking around picking up everyone's garbage. And I'm like, if this is my life goal, like I'm not into this at all. So anyways, I reached out to a really good friend of mine who had her own clinic already established. And I said, listen, like two things. I'm really bored. So I started way too many tomato plants. Um, If you want some for your garden, I'm going to drop them (laughs) off at the clinic for you. And also, if you maybe have room for me to come and join your team like one or two days a week. Like I can't stay at home and clean up other people's garbage forever. I will lose my damn mind. So she is just the most wonderful, inspiring, helpful human. I love her to pieces. I call her my favorite boss lady ever. Um, Like we hug when I go to the clinic, we like hug, hello, hug, goodbye. Like she is a genuine angel. I love her. Um, And so she took me on and I work with amazing coworkers and and I've really enjoyed that practice. Um, But from the beginning of my career till now, I've had some very interesting experiences. Um, I took doula training um, because I just wanted to know. I didn't want to be a doula, but I wanted to assist in baby deliveries and I wanted to know what is doula training. So I took that with a company out of um, Belleville called By the Moon. Um, Amazing, amazing company. Um, And I ended up attending 13 baby deliveries in four different hospitals in our area, which to have all of a sudden you're in a room and there's another person in a room is amazing. And to learn how to do like hip squeezes during a, a, a contraction. And this is you working as a doula? as a massage therapist. So oh. offering labor massage as an RMT. Nice. Um, so I did that uh, 13 times and it was unbelievable. Um, but on the flip side, because there's always two sides to every coin, I also um, went and massaged several people who were palliative. So it started with um, one of my aunts who was really lovely and I just felt like I wanted to help her. So I packed up a table and one of my babies and drove hours to go to her house and give her a massage and massage my cousins. And in that moment, followed by another family member, my uncle who was really ill with um, with cancer, I went to visit him and massage him and I realized like, I don't know what to do. Like, I don't know what to do to make them feel better. I can't even put them on a table. They either have, you know, tubes or, or tumors or whatever. And like, 
how can we as massage therapists learn to massage people in this state and still give them that feeling of euphoria and of relaxation? So that was kind of the beginning of learning uh, the different courses that I took. So I did take a couple interesting things. I took Reiki. Um, I went to the Kerpalyu Yoga Studio, Yoga Retreat Center in the Adirondack Hills of Massachusetts um, and took positive psychology, um, a few different courses there. And then when I was back in, in Ontario, it is a little bit harder to take CEU courses when you live in the middle of nowhere. So for me, I can't just drive across the city and take a course. You have to get a babysitter for three days because mm -hmm. where you're going is three hours away. You need a hotel for two nights and then the cost of the course. So it's like a thousand dollars for all the things, which is one of the things that I so appreciate about what you guys are doing with the online learning. It has opened my eyes to so many things that I'm like, oh my gosh, I would have loved to take a class on kineso taping, but it never lined up with my schedule or whatever. I can do it online. Like this is amazing. So Props to you for for making that available. Um, the most recent course that I took was back actually in 2017, um, and it was palliative care certificate with Christine Sutherland. Um, and she was actually one of the founders of the Sutherland Chan Massage Therapy School. So I took that course um, in Toronto. And it was amazing. It was very emotional. I think there was maybe only 15 people in the class. And it was just very inspiring to see how you could actually learn how to massage people who have been bedridden and are unable to have normal bowel movements because they're not moving around. So you learn a lot of abdominal massage. Um, if they're unable to turn over and work on their back, like how can you still access their back and give them some kind of a treatment to help prevent bed sores? Um, and then even like breathing techniques. So if someone's really struggling with their breathing um, with palliative, then you can do a lot of anterior super gentle neck treatment um, and posterior neck as well. But overall, just that touch therapy, I think a lot of people see a family member who's palliative and they're like, oh my gosh, don't touch them. Like, mm -hmm. they, I don't want to hurt them or anything. And it's like, no, like, the more touch is better. Not always and always ask first, but um, it was just a really interesting course. So I took that. Um, but again, life is busy with kids and, and whatnot. So it brought me to this point in my life, um, which back in August, I kind of turned a new leaf and decided to take really extreme self-care into account. I'd never really focused on that. It was always taking care of clients, taking care of my kids, taking care of my husband. And so from August until now, um, my whole family has kind of made better choices. Like we are drinking less wine. We're drinking more tea. We're going for walks and hikes and we joined Weight Watchers. Like there's all these different things that we've kind just of implemented. for my wine. I know. I know. I'm drinking wine right now. I'm not judging. <laughs> um, but just in general, like making smarter choices, getting up early to meditate and like have a coffee and not feel rushed in the morning because I, I don't like to be rushed, but I was rushed for 37 and a half years of my life. That's so magical. I need you off mic. I need you to teach me. I've talked about this many times how I've tried to make myself that we'll person. It. We'll do it together. That will get up a couple of hours before everybody yeah. and like do things for myself, do some yoga, do meditate or do whatever. Because whatever once, once the kids are up and running around, your day's like, gone. That's it. Like yeah. I'm, I'm on their time. I'm on their schedule. And by the end of the day, I feel like 
I had no time for me. But and I then don't you're resentful and I like, overwhelmed. Don't know how to wake up early. Mark will tell you I stay in bed until they are literally hitting my head, going, "Mommy, if we don't eat breakfast soon, we're going to be late for school." I'm like, "Fine, I'm up." Mm-hmm. But yes, off mic, we are going to talk. I need to learn how to eat. You know, I'm not. I'm not going to do five. I'm going to tell you right off the bat. I'm not going to do five, even if I could do six. I fucking hate mornings. I think mornings are my mortal enemy. It's a nice feeling though when you're not rushed around. Because I hate, I hate feeling rushed. I always show up early everywhere I'm going. The one thing I never want to do is just show up and start doing shit. Yeah. Like I want to show up and just kind of chill out. That and makes them grumpier than anything in I the world. Fucking to hate feel it. rushed. Yeah. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. You don't have time it. to kind of process like, what am I doing here? What is going to happen? Like, am I ready? Do I need to go to the bathroom? Do I and then for, for me, I, I realized it's more about, it's more about control. Mm-hmm. When I'm rushed, I got no control over anything. But if I show up somewhere 45 minutes early, I decide when I want to go in. Yeah. If I want to go in late, I can go in late. I'm not going in late because I have to. If I want to yeah. go in early, I can go in early. If I want to go right in time, I can go. So I'm in, if it is, it's a control thing for me. So. It is a wonderful feeling. The days where I'm not in a rush, where if by some miracle, it doesn't happen very often, mm-hmm. Olivia. I Your kids you. are little though, like five and seven. Five and they eight. They are four and seven. Ugh. They'll be five and eight soon. You're in the dark ages of yeah. your relationship. <laughs> <laughs> but there are days where I just happen to like wake up at the kids usually get up between seven thirty and seven forty five for school. Um the little one sometimes gets up at six just to be a jerk, but she'll she'll come lay in bed with us when she does that. But there's some days it happens maybe once a month where I just miraculously wake up at like 10 to 7 and I don't feel like going back to sleep. I'm like, okay, I'm up. So when those days happen and I get up and I shower and I go start like prepping lunches and whatever beforehand, and then we don't have to leave home until 8.45 to get the kids to school. They start at nine. Those days I'm ready at like 8.15 and I'm like, this is awesome. But then don't you feel like you have better energy to bring to your kids? Yeah. Like, because then when they want breakfast, you're like, I've got all the time. Like, what do you want? A breakfast sandwich? Do you want fruit loops? Do you want like, an I'll omelet? Because I you can whatever do you that. Want. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But then you're not rushed and then they, you're like energetically available to be there for them instead of like, mom's got to take a shit. Mom hasn't had a coffee. You're not dressed. Ah, like it just, it does. It changes things. But yeah, that is a real thing. So we can talk off camera for sure or off mic for sure. I don't really want to bring up COVID, but I do want to know. Okay. Because I want to know what COVID's like in Ontario in a in a small in a small population, right? Um, Are you sitting there going, "We don't have fucking cases, Mister Ford, Dougie. We don't have cases here. Why the fuck do I have to adhere to all of this provincial provincial shit when it doesn't really affect what's going on with me and in in the place where I live, or is it not that thought at all?" Um, I think it definitely connects back with because it's a small town and everybody knows everybody. Yeah. Um, if you're going to a big shaker at a party with 30 other people, everyone's going to know about it. And then they're going to be like, well, if anyone's positive at that party, luckily I'm not really one to go to shakers. I'm really, I'm really down with like a nine 30 bedtime. So mm. <laughs> it didn't really affect me. But, um, when I say small town, like if I walk to work during a lockdown, I might see like four cars on my 20 minute walk. Mm. Um, people aren't really, rule breakers for lack of a better word there are some who kind of swim against the stream for sure but overall i think because everyone's connected to everyone and everyone is you know their families and their in-laws and everything else like i think we went i'm not even sure how many months without seeing my mother and father-in-law or my parents like they would come to our house and like park in the driveway and stand 10 feet away and I'm a hugger. So I'd be like, I just really want to hug you. But like, what if I'm infected? What if you're infected? Like it creates this whole fear 
um, fear shame cycle of like, well, I don't want to hug you, but I really want to hug you. And it was really bizarre. It was really bizarre. It felt very, it felt very unnatural for me. I don't know how ever, I can't speak for everyone in my small town, but, um, I felt like it took a lot of the human connection away from just trying to be a good person. I feel like it would affect small town really different, right? Because small town's got all of these interpersonal connections, you know everybody, blah, 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 where I can be in the city and not know a fucking person, not have a bloody friend. And it's changed around what I can do, what I can't do, and I got to be at home for work and all the rest of it. But the connection piece might not be the same loss as when... Does that make sense? Does yeah, that make sense? Yeah. That totally does. Like if I run into the grocery store to get a couple things and I'm wearing a mask and I see someone that I know and care about, but they're really worried about COVID, they might not come more than six or right, 10 feet right, close right. to me. When normally before COVID, we would have given each other a hug and been like, how's the kids? Oh, when are we doing the next barbecue? Like it changed a lot of relationships for a lot of people. Huh. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Sorry, I didn't mean to bring up COVID. I'm still fascinated by it a little bit. You know what? I do feel like we're just in this very huge human experiment, to be honest. (laughs) Like aliens are playing some weird games with us. I wonder what they'll do if we just try this with them. I don't know. It's bizarre. Yeah, I know. I'm with you on that. Not a fan. I'm not a fan of COVID. But then Amanda reminded me the other day that she's like, yeah, this happened exactly what you said. One day it's just going to, you're going to turn around and it's it's just going to be like, it's over. And it's over next week. And life will just kind of go back to normal. Because that's what I was kind of saying at the beginning. It's over, but it isn't. There's still a lot of uh, federal restrictions and stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Provincially, um, it seems like things are. Like I I know if I was in a town, right? Like I know someone that lives in. I call it Dog River. She's not in Dog River. And um, and it, it, earlier earlier in COVID, she's like, oh, we don't have any cases up here. And I'm like, I would be angry then. I'd be angry that there's all these there's all these restrictions and they're being pla- they're being put in place right across the province. And none of this has anything to do with what we're doing here. And I still have to adhere to this. But anyway. I think that also creates a bit of an issue because then like at one point when we had different zones. So if we're treating at our clinic and someone travels to a gray zone or a red zone, or I don't even remember all the colors, but that was one of our COVID questions that we had to ask. Have you traveled to a gray zone or a red zone before you come in for oh, treatment? Oh, we, we had that because we had, I don't remember. we were running small in-person courses. So we were taking a maximum of eight students per class, like during certain periods, like when we were allowed to operate, but we had to make sure that everyone could maintain um, six feet of distance. So we were running classes where we would take eight people and we would have people sign up. And then because colors were changing and rules were changing, we'd have people email us and say, well, I live in a green zone. And so if I want to continue working, there's no way I can travel to you guys because you guys are in a red or gray or whatever it was. Like we would be in more of a lockdown because we're in a big city. And so we'd have people canceling classes last minute because they were in like a green zone where, you know, they had no cases. And it was so bizarre to us because we're like, what? Like, it's not like you drive into the city and suddenly you get COVID, but that's... That was kind of the perspective, I think, from small town. Yeah. So even if like, if I had a client who had traveled to the city, I had to ask like, well, did you wear proper PPE when you visited the person in the city? Like, it it made it very awkward. Mm -hmm. Like, instead of people just coming in and being like, my back hurts from lifting furniture or whatever... It's like, oh, well, what have your extracurricular activities been? It was very bizarre. It felt it felt unnatural to have to ask those questions, but those were the rules mandated right. from the CMTO and from the Ministry of Health. And so, you know, everyone's just kind of doing what they're doing, following the rules, trying to keep everyone safe. 
but it didn't mean that it felt good to do those things. Moving along from COVID. Sorry, sorry, that's, my <laughs> that's okay. Thanks, <laughs> my, Mark. My fault. I know. Way to bring it down a notch. No, sorry. I'm kidding. We are sorry. actually talking about palliative, so it's kind of right on the yeah, same. Yeah, it was on the same level. So I on will say when it comes to palliative, like the reason I wanted to talk to you about it is because I know I've mentioned this on other episodes. When I was a clinic supervisor, one of the outreaches we did every month is I took my students to a nursing home. Mm-hmm. And we we only worked on certain floors. Like we didn't work with, I mean- no, they they worked with people that were pretty close to the end of their life. But like usually we worked with people who were had a little bit of a better prognosis. Mm-hmm. But that was uh that was really hard. Like it, really it was hard. really hard, even just me as a supervisor. Like there was one client I will never forget. She would get so excited when we were coming, but mostly because she was just so excited to have people in there talking to her and having conversations with her. And I would go in there and she would talk to me about her daughter and this and that and whatever. But then later the nurses and PSWs would tell me like she doesn't have any family. Mm -hmm. Like it was all made up. She would tell me these. And so like it was just heartbreaking for me. Like I would leave there and like just cry. Like I don't I don't think that I could have done that as a career. Mm -hmm. So when somebody tells me like this is where I'm going with my career, I'm like, wow, like tell me more. Tell me why this is the direction you want to go and how you don't like break down into a blubbering mess at the end of every day. Yeah. Uh, well, I definitely worked with a couple palliative patients that that did happen, not during the treatment by any means, but you, transference aside, you genuinely care about other human beings. So if you're massaging someone um, who's close to death, um, you know this might be the last time you see them. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was different instances where, you know, with a younger patient that I worked with, um, who's 26, and he was very sick, and I worked with him, and and I still had in my mind like maybe he'll be okay. I didn't know he was palliative um, until he was gone, and so knowing he was young, he was just so full of life and energetic and had a beautiful future and he passed away and I that kind of like shut me down for a couple years like that was you know a decade ago so I really wanted to move forward with this business a decade ago but energetically and emotionally I don't think I could have actually done that so learning from that experience um I, I would never go back in time and undo it like it's it's still worth it to me for the heartache to still show up and be there because there's so many people that don't feel comfortable to be there. Mm-hmm. Like anyone who I've told that this is the direction I'm going in, I either have like a, oh, wow, that's going to be so great for you. This is a perfect position for you. I can really see you doing a lot of good there. And other people are like, ooh, are you sure? Like they literally recoil and are, are like, why would you want to do that? Why do you want to sign up to see those people? I'm like, because they're human beings. Yeah. And they're suffering and their family members are taking care of them and they're suffering. So moving forward to where I am now, um, the whole taking better care of myself always, I don't know, for for either of you or anyone listening, the more self-care you give your, give to yourself, you end up having a little bit better of a connection with your own intuition. So I had an intuitive, I don't know if you want to call it a vibe, a thought, a feeling about a friend, an acquaintance from high school. Uh, I wasn't super close with him. I hadn't seen him in like probably six or seven years. And I knew he was battling lung cancer. And I kept thinking like, I should reach out. I've taken all these courses. I should reach out. But I didn't reach out because I didn't know him very well anymore. It's been a lot of years since I was in school. I didn't know his wife. I didn't want to cold call someone and be like, hey, do you want me to come and massage you? It seemed awkward. It's a serious moment. It but is. I have to mention that she just didn't want to be creepy, Fred. 
I did not want to be creepy Fred. No. And, and that's what I was afraid of. So I, I didn't message, didn't message. And then one morning I woke up and I'd had a dream about him and I'm like, I just need to put my ego and bullshit aside and just send a message. They had like a Facebook group for like fundraising and kind of keeping everyone in the loop because again, small town, everybody Mm -hmm. knows everybody. And so I private messaged the administrative person who's a close friend of, of the gentleman. And uh, I said, you know, like, is there anything I can do? Like, do you need me to come and like do massage? Do you need me to drop off some groceries? Um, Do you need inappropriate coloring sheets? Like, is is there something I can do? Sometimes you just need to know who's out there, especially when you're struggling. And she wrote me back and said, we can only accept prayers at this time. And I was like, shit, I missed the window to be of service. And I knew when she said that, that he was going to die. And I thought, I'm never going to see him again. I never got to show up and help. And it like, it broke my heart. And not even that I wanted the glory of like going to see him and like, look, I saved the day or anything like that. But I knew that the training that I've taken can help a lot of people. And I'm a lot of people have taken the training. I'm not saying I'm the only one that can do it. But in our rural area, palliative massage does not exist. Like I have no one to call and say, hey, you're already established and doing this. Can you be my mentor and teach me? It doesn't exist. So from that moment, he died two days later. And I ended up going and having a lunch date with my high school art teacher, who's been like an ongoing mentor and guide for me. She's amazing. And she said, well, why don't you just do it anyway? Like, why don't you just go and make this your new your new position, your new job, your new career. And I'm like, how do you even do that? So two days later, she sent me an email with a link uh, or a connection with the um, hospice, one of the hospice workers, one of the directors. She's like, oh, I think you and Olivia should get chatting and kind of leave it at that. So I ended up having a Zoom meeting with the hospice director. And we just talked about everything from death doula because I had considered taking the death doula program. Um and they already had many death doulas in service at our hospice. And I said, well, what about palliative massage? Like I've no- I've noticed on your website, that's not something that you're currently offering. And I'm trained in it. I would love to offer that, but I just have never put together a business proposal. She said, well, can you do that? Can you can you put together a business proposal and a resume? And I'm like, sure. I haven't done a resume in like 16 years. Sure. Mm. So I get my kid's laptop and I, I set it all up and emailed it. And within like 10 minutes, she's like, I can't officially say like, welcome to the team, but like, I'm going to present this to our board and we'll have to come up with a decision together, but I'm really excited to work with you in the future. So that was in, you know, mid-November. And then January, they got back to me and said, like, the board agreed. You're you're kind of coming on board with with as a team member with our hospice. So the way things are moving now with my new business, um, I figured out a website and an Instagram and I've taken an online business course um, because so many things have changed in 16 years. And I feel like I don't know anything. You know what I mean? You know a lot, but you're like, the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know anything. So I've set everything up now. the inspiration was actually from another podcast. I'm sorry I, I podcast cheated on you guys. Uh, I listened to the Jay Shetty podcast a ton and then bought his book, which is phenomenal. And one of the well, chapters- that makes sense. He's all inspirational. Oh, hmm. 10 out of 10, that gentleman. So one of the chapters was all about Dharma, which is like finding your life purpose. And so they were explaining the different words associated with living your life purpose. So anada is a word that means when you are like at your highest- um, peak of elevation of human consciousness like you just feel like this is where i'm supposed to be in this moment and when you mix that with service that's your dharma and i was like i have to work with palliative like this is it makes my heart so happy um 
to be of service and to show up for the people that want Mm -hmm. that kind of service. So I checked the government of Canada website, made sure that that wasn't already established business and it wasn't. So I claimed it and registered it. And it's kind of been one step after another building in. Um, And then I actually was working with uh, another client who's a new mom. And she said to me, you know, I'm a little concerned with you working with palliative patients all the time. It might be getting really heavy. Like maybe you need to also offer infant massage, which I massage both my babies. You're not supposed to massage family members. Sorry. I did. I think it's a little different when it's your kids. It's I massaged my kids. I yeah. still massage my kids. They loved it. So, um, so yeah, so I was massaging this infant for a friend and a client of mine. And she said, like, I think you need to find the balance. And like, sure, you want to focus on palliative, but you're already here massaging my baby and it's helping. Like, maybe that's the other side, like the other side of the balance of your new business. So focusing on infant massage, palliative massage, um, and then working with a palliative patient in the last few months, I kind of saw that his spouse was really struggling. You know, her shoulders were up to her ears and she'd only ever had one massage in her life. And I didn't really want to offer treatment for caregivers because that's a whole other ball game. And I really wanted to just focus on palliative. Um, but when I went to those treatments and just worked on the gentleman who was palliative, I realized this doesn't feel right. And I just need to make clear boundaries around it. So I'm not mis- taking a heavy massage table and doing a full hour massage on the caregiver and whatnot, but I purchased a chair massage massage attachment. Mm. Um, so I take that with me and I offer just 30 minute upper body treatment. So someone can just wear their robe backwards or a backwards sweater. And we just literally do back, neck, shoulders, a little bit of scalp, 30 minutes to kind of help with those postural muscles. And like just seeing the like tension and weight come off of her shoulders, I thought this is what I need to do. So offering caregiver, minimal caregiver treatments, uh, just so that they can feel supported as well, which when I worked with the palliative patient and, you know, I'm hands on with him, he's like, well, what about her? Don't forget about my girl. She should be the one getting the massage. And I said, don't worry. Like, I'm not going to forget about her. Like, we're going to work on you first and get you comfortable. Mm-hmm. And then she's going to be taken care of. So I think it was nice for the patient also to see, you know, they're bedridden. They know that they're putting a lot on their spouse or on their partner, taking care of them all the time. So for him to look across the room and see her getting a massage made him feel like, okay, she's getting taken care of too. So it's still helpful for him. Mm -hmm. How hard is it to not bring anything home? And you used an interesting word before and you said there's like, you you, kind of use the word glory. Mm -hmm. And then it made me think is, is there glory in the work? And then if there is glory in the work, is that one of the strategies that allow you to not bring everything home all the time? Um, I don't know if glory is the right word. I think that when you go into a home knowing the person's palliative, you mentally have already made a shift. Like this might be the only time that I see this person or I might only see them twice. And so my whole focus is how do I make this the best hour that I can make it? Like what music do you want? What temperature do you prefer? Um, What body parts do you want me to work on? Are you really self-conscious and you only want me to work on your hands and feet? Like I give people the option, almost like a massage menu. And a lot of people who are palliative, in a rural community are elderly people who've never had a massage before. So they're like, Ooh, what does this mean? Like, what are you going to do to me? Um, so offering like what they want to choose from, from the massage menu allows them to kind of pick and choose and create their, their own treatment plan. Um, but as far as not taking it home, um, the whole like washing your hands with cold water, I do like not a prayer necessarily, but like an energy cleanse. Mm -hmm. Um, the whole self-care game has really upped. So I'm actually, 
uh, back in January, I called a psychotherapist in our area and I said, um, do you have ongoing grief support available? And she's like, ongoing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm getting into a new line of business and I'm going to need help every three weeks. So I, can you do that for me? And she's like, I've never done that before. I said, okay, like I need an appointment every, every third Friday at 1030 in the morning because my life is busy and I need to be scheduled or it's not going to happen. So if you can do that for me, I'd like to book it every three weeks for the whole year. So we had our first few sessions and it went really well. And she's like, this is really different than what I normally do for therapy, but I like it and let's keep going with it. So now whether I have patients who pass away or whether I have patients who are just unwell, I have that every three week kind of like set up for debriefing almost. Okay. Your friends and family were right. This is absolutely like you are the right person for this type of career, like to have the self-awareness to seek out the grief counseling and understand that you need to take care of yourself. Because as I said at the beginning of this, for fear of sounding like one of the people that were like, why would you want to get into yeah. that? But like that, oh, that would like, be, would a, that, that would be a concern for me is like, am I going to bring this home? Is this going to affect my mental health? But I also understand your position. Mm -hmm. Like there is nothing better than the feeling of knowing like, I was able to help someone, even if it was the smallest thing, like, yeah. you know, even if you were able to get to your, your high school acquaintance and give him naughty coloring pages. I like that, by the way. It was really, <laughs> it was a funny coloring book too. And I, and he had a great sense of humor. I'm like, I feel like I haven't seen him in six years. He might actually laugh at this. So, so yeah, I, I understand that, that sense of like, I know that I can help. And if you're somebody that you know, can handle this. And I think you've taken all the right steps to make sure that you can handle it and be there for people that a lot of people would be like, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. And you're right. They're humans. Like they, they need just as much support, if not more support than everybody else. But so many people would be afraid to get into that because it would be really hard. Mm -hmm. Like walking into someone's house, every, every appointment knowing this might be the last time I see you. I don't know how many of us can handle that. That's a lot. I've never been called to do anything. I can't even fully identify with what you're saying when you're like, this is this is like what I'm meant to do. This is like the, the I'm at the crossroads where these two points perfectly meet and now I know like this is my purpose. I'm like, mm -hmm. I I don't get these things. Like this never like whenever I hear someone talk about it, it fascinates the fuck out of me mm -hmm. because I'm like, this shit never happens to me. Like never. I've never had this experience before in my life. Where maybe it's like, instead of saying it hasn't happened, maybe it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. I don't I think I'm just too dopey to recognize if it did happen. But I I'm I it's just I'm You're just fascinated far from by the dopey, sir. I'm just fascinated by the whole thing. When anyone some when anyone's like, Yeah, this is what I I know this is what I was meant. I don't I think even know why I just went experience. Personal experience makes a huge effect, like going to see family members or other patients who are palliative and not knowing what to do and feeling stupid and being like, I feel like I should know what to do, but I don't know what to do. And then taking the courses that, you know, didn't give me all the skills. You never know everything, but you learn little bits along the way and you're like, okay, well, maybe this information will be helpful. It was helpful for me. Maybe it'll be helpful for someone else. And then it's like, okay, well, why should I keep that information inside and not share it when I wish that someone would have known and shared it with me at that time? And I think people just express this in a different way. Like, you know, as Olivia saying, this is something that I felt called to do or however, however she said it. I don't know that it's not necessarily happened to you. It's more like it hasn't. I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know what? You <laughs> and I, you and I could work cushy jobs 
making a lot of money with minimal stress and minimal effort and minimal work. And yet every few years you decide we're taking on this next big project. First, first it was Con Ed. Then it was the podcast. Then it was the secret platform that we're working on. I never have these moments. It's, it's different though, because you are not, you are not Olivia. You're not going to be the person working with babies or palliative patients, but something intuitively is bringing you to do all of these other things using your talents, how you're able to bring stuff to the world that other people couldn't I do. just feel like it's like a really kind of massive self-aware deep thing that you've gone through and that leads you here. And I don't think everyone goes through that. I don't, I don't think, think everyone I, does. I, I, think, I think the majority of people don't. I think the majority of people like me, they just go through life and they, they just come and go and do what they do and they're, they're, they're kind of selfish in their own little, their own little space and, and that's that. So this fascinates the fuck out of me completely. They just like spreading joy. Like I've had interactions where I was not my best self and then you feel really guilty about it. Like you lay in bed at night like 10 years later and be like, that was a really shitty thing for me to say to that person. Why did I say that? That was really rude. But then it's like you take that moment and you go, I didn't like how I felt after that. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to change my behavior. I'm going to make better choices. I'm not perfect. I still do things. I say things. I say inappropriate things, whatever the case may be. But I think just life lessons, life experience, you learn and you grow and you shift and evolve and you're never, you as you are sitting here now are not the same cells that was sitting here a year ago, but Mm. you also are not the same person you were a year ago. Like you've learned so much in 12 months or, you know what I mean? Like the learning process is never over. And I think no one's ever fully done learning But the more you learn and the more you kind of get interested in certain aspects of learning, like whatever direction you end up going with your learning, that's maybe where your, where your passion or where your life purpose is. Mm. Like whatever lights you up and makes your soul feel like, not even your soul, I don't know if you believe in souls, but whatever makes you feel like this is awesome. Like wherever you feel like I'm not working right now, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And maybe that's podcasting. Maybe it's a combination of podcasting and massaging and parenting and teaching. Like it doesn't have to be one thing, but it's the things that you get up in the morning. You go, I'm excited to do X, Y, and Z today. I don't know if I have this anymore. It's really weird. I feel like I'm on the I'm on the couch at the shrink's office. But- do you want to switch spots? This couch is really soft and super clean. You could, yeah, you could check out the nice clean couch. Yeah. But as I was saying, but anyway. it would be very easy for either of us to just get a job. I mean, both of us have decent education. We know we we know how to do things. Do you do you have a choice in in the work that you do now? Then being so drawn to it, like this is this is just what I do, or or do you have a choice? Like mm, you know, I I I don't know if I want to go down this path because I don't feel that inner thing. So yeah. I always feel like I have a choice. I feel like I can roll anyway, like a fart in the fucking wind. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I can go here one second, here one second, here one second, because I don't have that inner thing saying this is what you should be doing. That's, that's okay. what the universe is telling you to do. So do you feel do you feel you have a choice? Um, I think I have a choice and I've made the right one. I think and I also feel really lucky. Like the clients I have, some of them have been seeing me every four weeks for 16 years. So I saw them when their kids were little, now their kids are in college and they've gone through menopause and they have, you know, lost family members or whatever. Like you get connected to the, these people. So for me to take on this new business, I couldn't just be like, peace out, good luck. Right. 
So I <laughs> have had this beautiful kind of very transparent um, transition with my regular clients. And I just had to be honest with them and say, like, listen, you've been along for the journey and I really feel like this is the direction I have to go in. Um but I don't want to leave you high and dry. We live in a small area, a small rural area. We do not have a, enough massage therapists to cover. So if you guys ever want to move to my neck of the woods, we can hang out and do this all the time. And you could be fully booked with clients all she the time. She always brings food. Um, yeah, I'll feed you. We could have weekly dinners. It'd be a great time. <laughs> Anyways, um, so I was very honest with my clients back in November when everything kind of started shifting. And I just said like, Starting in January, I'm going to cut my hours back. Um, so instead of seeing me every four weeks, it might be every five or six. And starting in the spring, like April, May, I'm going to book you for the year. And it's going to be probably every six to eight weeks, depending on what you need. And I really encourage you to massage cheat on me. So here's a list of the RMTs that are still taking new people. Um, I don't want to leave you high and dry, but if you know that you only have seven massages with me for the rest of the year and you know exactly when they're booked, I want you to take the initiative and book Cairo, physio, therapy, Reiki. Mm -hmm. I don't care. Go and book other self-care appointments between those every other month massages. Mm -hmm. Because I think that people are starting to wake up and realize the more energy and effort you put into taking care of yourself, the better off you are to give to your family, to give to your spouse, to give to your coworkers, whatever. If you're overwhelmed and exhausted and stressed out, you're not bringing your best self to anyone. So when you start implementing extreme self-care with whatever those means may be for you, I think it just allows people to be a better version of themselves. Mm. So I've encouraged my clients to do that. And as of last week, I think I have like four appointments left between now and Christmas. So I went through my whole calendar year and booked all my clients and everyone's set. So I'm at my clinic two days a week and then I'll be providing mobile massage two days a week. So I'll be going to people's homes for palliative or infant massage. And once a palliative patient becomes a resident of our local hospice, if they choose to have end of life massage at that location, the hospice has offered to hire me on an as needed basis for those patients, for those residents. Sorry. That's amazing. Hmm. Are you comfortable sharing contact information? If anyone's listening to this and just wants to see what you're up to, maybe pick your brain, maybe people are thinking about this and, you know, have questions? Absolutely. If people want to contact me, my website is Anada Massage, A-N-A-D-A. -A -A. It's Canada minus the C. Um, and they can find me on my website or they can find me on Instagram, Anada Massage. And if they have any questions or concerns, whether they're in my neck of the woods or anywhere and they just want to, you know, continue this conversation or have any specifics they want to talk about. I think that life is just all about connecting with the people that you're meant to connect with. People aren't going to send an email to someone that they're not interested in talking to. So I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Do you have any other questions? I have for so many other? questions. Like I want to know, I want to know, do you... <laughs> Do you feel like this is a good business move? Not only do I feel like it's going to fill my soul and make me feel like I'm doing the right thing for my community and for the people that I interact with, but I think physically it'll be easier on me. It might be emotionally harder, but I think physically palliative people aren't expecting deep tissue massage. All right. One of the gentlemen that I worked with um, when he was just a few days before he passed, I'd been several times to massage him and I couldn't. I couldn't massage him with oil anymore. I couldn't even take his arm out of his sweater. Like he was super uncomfortable. So, you know, you show up to massage someone and then they can't be massaged. Like you don't want to waste their time or their money. So I thought, okay, what do I do? What do I do? 
soothing strokings. So I literally started like at his shoulder and just did soothing strokings down his arm, down his hand, all the way down his leg, showed his wife how to do that, did the other side. And we just did the full body soothing strokings down his face, his chest for an hour. Mm -hmm. And like watching him kind of sink into his hospital bed and become more comfortable and seeing like, you know, his furrowed brow relaxed. I was like, okay, it doesn't always have to be deep tissue. So I think emotionally it'll be harder and physically it'll be easy. Do you think that emotionally you you might be in a scenario where you've bitten off more than you can chew? Are you or is that a concern for you? Um it is and it isn't because I am an emotional person. I genuinely care about every person I've ever interacted with. Mm-hmm. Like I really try not to be a jerk everywhere I go. Right. Um but it comes back to it's worth it. It's it's worth it to show up and do your best. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be sad after you're going to be sad whether you helped the person or not. So if you show up and you help, then at least you have that feeling of like, I tried. Mm-hmm. I tried to make it better, even if it was a fraction of a of a bit better. Is is going to a funeral overstepping? I don't think so. I think it depends on the circumstances. Um, with COVID, funerals are very weird. Um Again, I'm a hugger and those are not really allowed. But when they come back, I might be the person wearing a t-shirt that says free hugs. Mm. Not on the corner of a street, but on a street somewhere. (laughs) Um, I think that I would get into that for sure. Um, But to go to a funeral and not be able to like hug the spouse of someone or, you know, shake the hand of a family member, that feels really awkward for me. Mm -hmm. Um, So during COVID, especially with like numbers, restrictions and whatnot, I'm not going to take the place at a funeral when another family member or friend might have wanted to register and go. Um, But I have gone to funerals for patients in the past. Um, And I think, and I've seen other palliative workers there. I've seen other nurses that I've worked with. I've been to a funeral. I've spoken at a funeral. Um, I've seen other palliative doctors there. I think it shows... I think it shows respect and it shows appreciation for the time that you spent with that person. And then you also get to learn stories about their their life that you didn't know about during that time. Because quite often when someone's palliative, they're not feeling real chatty. So they might tell you bits and pieces or they might talk for a bit or they might be nonverbal at the point that you meet them. Right. So then when you go to their funeral, if they're explaining, you know, oh, they were into horseback riding and wearing boots or they were into whatever you get to learn about all these different things and go okay like that's the person that i got to have a small piece of of their 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 experience and i mean massage therapists in general we've always talked about your patients i guess because they're in such a vulnerable vulnerable position they they trust you a lot and they end up sharing a lot with you a lot most of them not everybody and as you said some of your patients might be nonverbal but i know at one of the first places that i was treating i got invited to two baby showers i don't know if you remember this very early in my I career i got in, i got invited to clients baby showers these were clients that i treated all throughout their pregnancy so i knew them before they were pregnant i treated them all through their pregnancy and then I got invited to their baby showers. And I remember the first invite I got, I was like, is this weird? I'm like, well, no, because she invited me, but she also invited my my colleague who was a chiropractor. So we went together and then she ended up bringing her baby in for chiropractic and for massage. And, you know, I got to do some infant massage with this baby. And I don't know, it, it suddenly didn't feel weird anymore. I was like, I was a part of this whole thing, right? Like I, I was with her through her entire pregnancy. So yeah, I guess it it made sense. And in your case, being with somebody right up until the end of their life, I don't think it would be weird going to their funeral. You're you should be there mm-hmm. if you can be. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. 
It's good that you do this work. I really like it. So many people like me, they'd be like, I know. And that's okay. Everyone has their place. I just think like, I think it's really important for not just massage therapists, for everyone just to realize like how much um, power we have with like setting those intentions. Like, I don't know. I don't know about you, but like when I do have a client come in, like I think about like, what have they been going on? Like, what have they been having going on in their life? Like, oh, they've been hiking or they've been skiing. Like, I bet you their legs are really sore. There's someone listening because you've said this a couple of times, setting your intentions, setting your intentions. There's someone listening to this right now is going, I have no fucking idea what you're talking about setting your intentions. What do you mean by setting your intentions? Do the best you can. Like you can't fix everybody. You can't fix really anything, even control. You can't control everything, but control what you can control. Show up on time or better yet, show up 15 minutes early. And if your client's having a really rough time and, you know, you typically have them in and out the door in 60 minutes, maybe give them 65 minutes that day. You know what I mean? Like set those intentions to allow people to feel like their time and energy and money is is valued mm-hmm. because i think that we don't realize how much we can affect the people that come in to our our clinic or into our business i think setting intentions in our in our profession is also just the same thing that you and i say all the time making sure each client when they're there whatever happened before them no longer matters mm-hmm. you and that person are in this it's their appointment it's their time you're there for whatever they need, right? Whatever kind of treatment they need, um, whether that day it's, you know, a little less technical, a little more um, relaxation or just support because Mm -hmm. they're going through some shit. And that is why that life experience piece matters, right? Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're a very different therapist than you were 16 years ago. Oh, for sure. Aren't we all though? Right. We're never done. We're never done growing and changing. I like it. No, this is really interesting. This is good. Yeah, this was really good. And I really appreciate you driving for three hours. And like props to your hubby who chauffeured you all the way here and is waiting for you right now. (laughs) What does the car ride here sound like? What's going on in the car? Life chats. Life chats? A little bit of radio. A little bit of swearing at stupid drivers. At one point, (laughs) I was swearing um, profusely at some stupid drivers. And he said to me, if you're going to swear at every shitty driver in the GTA, like this is going to be a long drive. <laughs> I was like, He's okay. right. Okay. Oh, we forgot to bring up the fact that Olivia's wearing a shirt that yeah, like it. it says, <laughs> I give a fuck, but there's, uh, the U is missing. So it actually says, I give a fuck, but we, we know what it means. Yeah, fuck, yeah. fuck. Um, I noticed the shirt as soon as you walked in and there's a story behind this shirt. You know, the designer. Yes. Yeah. So I actually went to public school in high school with uh, my friend, Corey McLaughlin, and he started this company and, um, it's essentially 10 fed is the name of the company and they sell t-shirts and hats and all kinds of different, um, items and they give money back to low income children who don't have food to eat. So every t-shirt or every item that they sell feeds 10 children, either within Canada or abroad. And he actually is a Toronto based company. So the only reason I have a t-shirt is because he came to our farmer's market and I bought one from him. I love this. I'm going to buy one now too. Like you and everybody you're surrounded by. I got some good people. Yeah. You're just doing good in the world. I set that intention. I'm on this planet for, I don't know how many years. I want to fill it with as many good experiences and helping as many people as I can in the time that I'm here. That's cool. I know this sounds like a big love fest, but for those of you listening, um, <laughs> I do I do want you to check out 
Olivia's Instagram and follow what she's doing because legitimately this woman just sent me a random message on Instagram and has been listening to our podcast to the point where when she came in today, she knew what to bring. She knew that Mark doesn't drink. She even said to me, I was going to get Mark a happy meal with no pickles and a Sprite and, <laughs> and a Sprite and fries. Like uh, she pays attention to detail. And I think if more people just slowed down a little bit and actually like were paying attention to what was going on around them and the people around them, it's the littlest gestures. Like we will never forget the St. Patrick's Day where Olivia drove three hours and brought us snacks in the middle of the day on a day that Mark hadn't eat- eaten lunch. It's so cool. much appreciated. Thanks so much for having me. This has been an honor to come and just like chat and hang out with you guys. And it's kind of cool. I feel like I want to get your autograph, but I know that'll make you uncomfortable. So (laughs) skip that. It's fine. Let's skip the part. Yeah. (laughs) Right on. Well, thanks for coming. This has been good. You guys have been listening to two massage therapists in a microphone. Peace.